Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Well, happy 420. At least about 10 minutes left in the day here as we start recording. Only to those of you who celebrate, of course. Uh, but uh, in a series which maybe uh, the fans of these two teams celebrate that a, a little bit. Golden State, despite the absence of Draymond Green, pulls to within 2-1 of the Kings in a fairly dominating victory. The line on this, this is another one of those ones where like the line was like Warriors by six or something. And I was like, man, no Gary Payton, like no Draymond, like uh, Kings controlled the first two games. But Vegas knows this is why I don't bet other than over-unders, which I still don't actually put money down on. What's your biggest takeaway from this game? I don't know that there are any game changers. There are some fun tactical wrinkles that we'll talk about, but the Warriors role players playing better, the Kings role players playing worse. It's an old adage that this happens, you know, as a playoff series shifts, but I thought that was one of the big swing factors. But I think maybe the bigger one is, yes, Sacramento missed way more threes than you would normally expect again they were 11 of 47 overall. But to me, the quality of shots that the Warriors were getting overall in this game, that should be concerning to the Kings because even though they didn't fall like from three at the rate I would have expected, we like to look at shot quality rather than Oh, let's call it effective field goal percentage because in a larger sample, you think that that's going to eventually bear itself out. And if it does, that's bad news for them. Talk a little bit more about uh, that Warriors shot quality. The Warriors took 50 three-pointers in game three. And I would say a fairly significant proportion of those were A, wide open and or B, by their best shooters. Like that's another good calibrator on this. So yes, Jordan Poole was dealing with an ankle injury, but 29 of their 53 pointers were Seth Curry, Clay Thompson, or Jordan Poole. And, you know, a lot of the Wiggins ones were wide open, and Moses Moody had five. I believe all of those were wide open, DiVincenzo's too. And so, yeah, you can sacrifice open threes. Over the years, we've talked about that with the Bucks and numerous other teams, but. The Warriors, not only did they have an equal amount of free throw attempts, but they were getting to the paint with reasonable frequency. It wasn't the centerpiece of their offense, but the Kings weren't taking enough away. That's what that's what would cons- that that concerns me about their defense overall. Yeah, this is more what I expected the Kings defense to look like in this series it's not what i expected their offense to look like and i mean they they missed a lot of pretty good threes you know herder and murray two for 11 monk was 0 for four like they had a lot of pretty open looks sacramento was one for nine from the corners not that the warriors were much better they were a whopping two of ten on corner threes. yeah so that number of corner threes for both teams and the number of misses will show you that they, they weren't hitting that the normal percentage but i thought particularly in the second half the first half the Warriors really couldn't get anything at the rim still I think they had taken 21 three-pointers basically like 13 minutes into the game and were six out of 21 and it shot better after that but not incredibly better so the second half though I really felt like Golden State other than that like very brief stretch right before Draymond got ejected in game two was the first time that the Warriors offense like looked like the Warriors offense and John had noted despite that fact that they were shooting six 64 percent from two they just didn't make anything in the first half at one point late in the first half they're shooting 30 percent from two but still led at halftime because the king's offense was even worse and i think a lot of it obviously was just the warriors 
playing better. They had a much better plan to me offensively. And I'm not going to go ahead and say that they were better without Draymond Green on this game, but it did have some advantages, which was it wasn't Draymond holding the ball up top, just trying to get guys going back door all the time and throwing the ball away, right? I mean, they only had, the Kings only had six steals in this game and the Warriors had 12 steals in this game. And I think during the competitive portion of the game, the Kings only had four steals. So that was huge. And part of that was the Kings just didn't bring the same level of defensive intensity. Fox and Monk in particular just were not nearly at the same level as they were in the two Sacramento games. But I also thought the Warriors plan of just like running a more normal offense that wasn't going to turn it over as much was really good. And so one of the things that Steve Kerr did, and they ran this over and over again in the third quarter in particular, was they started the offense off usually on the left side of the floor with a screen by a guard, maybe a little pitch action with the guard, and then also brought the big up kind of towards the middle of the floor to either set a screen or like do a little pitch back again. And what that ended up doing was it put three Kings above the three-point line to start the possession defense because Sabonis, they've been putting him on the floor trying to use his mobility. If he's back by the rim, uh, number one, then, you know, you just set a screen and you get a a wide open three for Steph or maybe Clay. And so you can't have that. So you got to have him out of the floor. So the fact that they, you know, they went at that instead of Draymond just like handling the ball up top trying to find shooters coming off of screens or back doors and stuff then they're able to either find guys below there they're able to just get moving enough that Sabonis couldn't corral guys every once in a while that hits on the short roll but then there is so much space to attack uh they would get the defender onto Steph Curry that they wanted to with all these guard screens as well up top and so just the overall pace and motion, a lot of times it wasn't even on a fast break. It was just half court pace. Everything starts out way out on the floor because, and because they have the shooters, you got to follow all those guys out there. And the Kings didn't really have an answer for that. They don't have the type of athletes on the back line who are going to be able to fly around and make up for all that space. And I, I thought it was a brilliant adjustment by Golden State. Do you think that Mike Brown and his coaching staff can concoct a real counter to that? You brought up that the personnel is probably not the way they're going to do it but that it, it was something that i was wondering about as well Is like where do you go from here at sacramento well certainly the play harder adjustment is always there they sure i mean a big part of their problem was giving up the 18 offensive boards as well you hope that at least at home that won't happen um also just making more shots will will help them also uh doing more and being more efficient on the fast break those are all like i i realize i'm kind of dodging your question here because i don't have a great answer for it you know you can go to some things like maybe you put harrison barnes on that big and try to keep sabonis closer to the rim they tried getting the warriors out of that already by going back to the box and one the warriors got that figured out they can't that box one's not going to work basically anytime you see herder guarding steph at the start of a possession that means they're in the box in one. And what the Warriors were doing was they would just set a screen, a normal pick and roll for Steph, then immediately short that pick and roll, throw it to the wing. And you can't like deny that pass because you're in a zone. You're just would open things up too much. And then they would get the roll man coming right down. It was Draymond in, in the first couple games. Kaminga got an easy uh, dunk out of that play. Like there isn't really a great counter for that. The reason that that worked so well against the Warriors in past years is they would do it when Steph was basically the only threat on the floor and it was the you know Alfonso McKinney standing in the corner and so you could when you can just pull in from the corners then all right now it works a lot better when it's you got Clay Thompson and Jordan Poole out there and you know someone like Moody in the corner who is a good threat to shoot the ball from three and someone like Kaminga coming downhill or Draymond making a decision like it's that's not gonna work at all I mean it's just a change up the Warriors got it figured out like but it's that box in one is really more of a personnel thing that you take advantage of the other team just not having enough shooting or other playmaking on the floor that the Warriors don't really have any groups like that at this point in some ways especially with some of the guys that were at but even then I mean as you mentioned they were having some success with that with with Draymond Green and others and I thought that it was an interesting game for the Warriors role players I mean maybe the most memorable of those was Jonathan Kaminga trying to end Alex Len. Now, 
I don't think there was a realistic way for the dunk to actually succeed because he took off from so far away. But, you know, he tried it. And and Kaminga had some good moments after being disastrous in game two. Ended up with six points in 13 minutes. And then Dante DiVincenzo, there was a long stretch where his shot wasn't falling at all. He ended up getting a kind of a, a weird shot at the end of the first half and then ended up two of eight from the field. But his four game, I thought, was incredibly important. Had three offensive rebounds on his way to seven. Had four steals and was very disruptive. And it was more the type of game where, yeah, he's better. He's better as a reserve than as a starter, and and we, we've seen that over the course of the full season too. But getting contributions from those guys, getting contribution from Moses Moody, that makes a lot of this more tenable for the Warriors. Yeah, DiVincenzo was the big piece that they desperately needed to be able to play the 27 minutes that he played because he was terrible in the two Sacramento games. And okay, you can't guard De'Aaron Fox, fine, but he also couldn't guard Malik Monk. And that's when it really fell apart for him. And so he was able to do that in this game. And as a rebounder, help defender, as you mentioned, he was outstanding. Also had eight assists in this one while the Warriors got back to their ball. But remember, they only had 18 assists, I think, on 39 field goals in game two. And they were able to get enough penetration, enough driving kicks that uh, they ended up uh, with the 31 assists on 40 field goals, despite not shooting incredibly well from three in the game. And just they're more active defensively as well with the, the 12 steals. And for the Kings, Sabonis, the handoff game still isn't really working. Only had four assists. Warriors, the only handoff stuff that's really been working is with Herter and Herter not being able to hit any of his threes like that's part of why Sabonis hasn't had as many assists like Herter's had some open ones but he has one out of six on pretty good looks in this game I would say he's, his floater game was working a little bit better he was five out of six from two basically I think all all on floaters at least his half court attempts but he got in foul trouble too which was a bit of a problem going back to his Atlanta days but the other problem for Sabonis is he's just not really able to score one-on-one against Kevon Looney or Draymond Green like those guys are enough that he's not going to just dominate them physically the way the Warriors have been defending the handoff game and that's the biggest thing is that in winning that battle is they haven't had to pressure Sabonis at all and so the way that you force them to do that is with the shooters being too good but the shooters haven't been able to make shots out of those situations and so that means then that the back door isn't there because you're laying off a Sabonis so the big is just standing there to take away the back door and then Sabonis you know he's not going to shoot the ball so he's just kind of always looking for someone to hand off to and or he's just gonna put the ball on the floor and go right into Looney he just doesn't have enough moves or enough athleticism to just score on Kevon Looney at the basket and and same thing with Draymond when he's in there so I'm not I think more Fox Sabonis pick and roll is something I would try to get to which they didn't do that much of in this game you know Fox is good but it wasn't necessarily out of the the pick and roll Sabonis I think that's maybe how they can get Sabonis going a little bit uh what else well, you got from this one yeah. i mean you you invoked his name there but kavan looney celebrating april 20th with a 4.20 rebound game um he almost had his second double digit both offense and defensive rebounding game he finished one offensive rebound short there he was 9 and 11 also had nine assists and looney's i would say the defense is the most important part but those offensive rebounds make a huge difference those defensive rebounds of course do as well and so sacramento they were you know middle of the road in terms of overall offensive rebound rate the Warriors were well above average about 33% of their own misses and when you consider they're playing a fairly small backup center in Jamaica Green who had a better game as well I thought Looney was huge at bet365 we don't do ordinary we believe that every sport should be epic every basket every game every point every play from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Yeah, I mean, it, it, he was a, really kept them in it early when the shots weren't necessarily dropping. And, it, of course, he, he had his best defensive game of the series. And a lot of those Warriors either cuts to the basket or three-pointers came uh, off of his 
offensive rebounds. And I mean, and overall, it gives Steve Kerr a lot of credit. Now, again, like all these guys, their backs are up against the wall. They played harder. The Kings, clearly to me, the Kings did not bring the same level of effort. Like they're a young, like playoff ingenue team. And they were completely jazzed up by their own home crowd, and they just didn't really have an understanding of how to bring that effort level on the road. They did run more in the third. Mike Brown talked about that after the game, and that's actually what kept them semi in contact until early in the fourth quarter was at least trying to run more in the third because they really were getting completely destroyed in the half court in the third. And so Steve Kerr, though, I, I really thought he did a great job of crafting his lineups to put guys in a position to succeed and started Jordan Poole, moved Wiggins to the four. And you know, I don't think that lineup was the, necessarily their best. And I thought Looney was unbelievable in that lineup defensively. Like I think the Kings could have found a way to exploit that a little bit more than they did maybe with the, their size because they had Barnes on, would have been guarded either by Curry or by Poole in most of these matchups. And they just didn't really go to that very much. Like that when they're struggling to score, that might've been something they could have gotten to. And then he takes Curry out earlier than basically they ever have probably like maybe six minutes gone by in the first and third and then as soon as Alex Len came in Steph Curry came back and I think like a lot of people thought oh well it's because Davion comes in right around the time they were separating from Davion and that that's partially true but I thought it was even more about finding a way to take advantage of the lack of mobility of Alex Len defensively I mean amazingly of of the center options for the Kings Lyles played a little bit at center two to start the fourth Sabonis is like by far probably the best defender of, of those at least when Curry is involved len is probably better when curry's out of the game so they found a way to take advantage of len when he had been coming in basically when curry went out before and he was much more playable that's something we talked about so steve kerr took that away with the way he did things he didn't play jonathan kaminga until the second and fourth quarter i thought he might start kaminga that's not the way that he went and but he found a way there to play coming at center when Len was in the game so that uh, if they wanted to run pick and roll with Fox and Len then they had Wiggins on Fox and then Kaminga could switch on to Fox and, and Kaminga did a much better job uh, with his one-on-one defense uh, in this game too so there are just a lot of little things like that uh, where Kerr just set up his lineups to not be into difficulty with his own players that might get taken advantage of. He also just matched Wiggins with Fox the entire game as well, not having Gary Payton. And then he also found a way to put some of the weaker Sacramento players into difficulty with his lineup choices as well. I thought he, he, Steve Kerr coached a, a brilliant game in this one. I've criticized Kerr before f- many times for not really tailoring his overall scheme, not attacking an opponent's weakness, but doing so through personnel is another part of that equation. And, and I agree with you. He did a very good job there. It's also interesting to see, like you, you brought up the ways that the Warriors have tried to set up certain matchups in terms of also like when guys like Davion Mitchell from Sacramento are playing, like we're seeing some of that from their end too, kind of putting players in a position to succeed. There were a couple of Kings who were in foul trouble at different moments in time. I don't know how much that shaped this game. Keegan Murray got three fouls in the first quarter and he only ended up playing 22. Wasn't a great game for him anyway. And then Herter had five. He was kind of in and out, but they they still they still kept on playing him. It was just, you know, he played, played about as reasonable minutes. But we talked about how the Warriors support players did well and some of the Sacramento guys had had really big stretches at the Golden 1 Center and Trey Lyles, Malik Monk were both very limited offensively. They didn't really make a huge impact defensively. Monk, 1 for 9 from the field, 0 for 4 from 3. Trey Lyles, 0 for 6 from the field, 0 for 4 from 3. And the play better adjustment now can come into play for Sacramento after how well they played in games 1 and 2 but that really made the margins for error much more perilous for Sacramento and it put more on Sabonis's play to put more on De'Aaron Fox's play and while I thought Fox played a good game overall it just meant those guys like they weren't getting the backup that they did in sack yeah definitely Jerry Fox was wonderful in this game it hit a lot of jumpers so he had two stretches in the second quarter to keep him close with back-to-back step-back threes 
and then he had a three and a three-point play right at the end of the third to kind of keep him viable for a little bit but in the end it didn't work that well the other thing that was crazy about this game is the kings ran on twice as many of their possessions as the warriors did basically but the warriors had a 164 offensive rating in transition and the kings eventually made it up to 82 but through most of the game the competitive portion of the game their transition offensive rating was in the 60s and i don't i mean i think they had more turnovers in transition than they normally would like sabonis got it tipped away a couple of times and he was trying to bring the ball up wouldn't surprise me if that wasn't like an emphasis too of just hey we're gonna run harder and run him down from behind and hey when you actually are at home and you run harder that's uh that helps you and they probably missed a bunch of open threes off a transition as well but that that's just a crazy number considering that the kings are so good in transition and the warriors were not good in transition and again i always look at that number since that bucks Celtics series last year when the Celtics would just miss layups in transition and then that immediately goes back to be a layup the other way so and the biggest question I have about this series going forward I mean there's two of them and I initially you remember I was like oh I guess you, you weren't there for the preview but what I said was I listened to it though okay yeah so, so what I said was I think this series is just a referendum on the Warriors right if they play well they should be able to handle the Kings I actually feel differently about it now I think there are two big questions that I have about the Sacramento the Kings going forward number one one is can they maintain the same level of defensive effort they had in games one and two and number two is and i mean part of that too is the warriors just not kicking the ball over the gym with absurd turnovers like that's that's a warriors thing but then number two is are these guys are gonna fucking hit shots you know i mean that's this is a team they still lead it to one even if it's two two statistically you know they'll have two of the next three at at home like usually the quote-unquote favorite is a big favorite i don't know if they the kings are a better team than the warriors still like the the way the warriors played tonight was pretty impressive and staff in particular was pretty impressive we should probably talk more about his game but this king's team could explode shooting the ball at any time and we're just it just hasn't happened yet i keep waiting for it to happen but if it does and that's the next game yeah make the warriors substantial favorites in the next game with Draymond coming back but like this king's team like the warriors have no margin for error right now right if sacramento just goes crazy from three and it's going to happen you think at some point in this series that could be a big monkey wrench for the warriors anything else you had um so one stat that i found interesting you and correctly brought up the sacramento inefficiency from cleaning the glass and transition they don't define these terms in the same way but the official box score has the kings going seven of 11 on fast break opportunity and so that would indicate you know obviously they're not counting them the same there will be more in the turnover realm rather than the missed shot realm but again they're not defining them the same yeah. way. or it could also just be that a lot of these were just like very uh, kind of early offense quick shots that just weren't really that transitiony mm-hmm. that weren't re- you know really advantage shots they also so had maybe, maybe they also created advantages the there was a ridiculous stretch at the beginning of the third quarter where both teams were basically running off of makes because neither team ever got their defense set and so it really ramped up the scoring after a pretty tepid uh, the kings had 41 points in the it was 41 to i believe it was 53 at halftime and they just mm-hmm. they, they had a much more efficient third quarter in part because of that stretch at the beginning oh since we didn't mention it um the reason why gary payton second didn't play is a due to illness so we'll see if he is available for game four though it's all the way until sunday so that gives more time we'll talk about a different series where there's less time for the players to recover but you wanted to talk about steph curry and i think that's totally fair just to give the basic box score line 36 points 12 of 25 from the field 6 of 12 from 2 6 of 13 sorry 6 of 12 from 3 6 of 13 from 2 also got to the line six times out of the warriors 23 only had three assists but had a bunch of secondary assists and had some defensive plays some defensive rebounds a couple steals and accredited blocks well yeah and that above the break three-point shooting was there in this one six of 12 from three all above the break for him and he was definitely really fired up and i think he was easily the best player on the floor he really and particularly in the second half like had the king's defense broken like he's the reason why that strategy of kind of pulling everything out on the floor worked so well and uh, also his drive game was a a little more controlled than it was in kind of a frantic game too but uh, also he was able to get to the rim and and 
make plays just about any time. And he was exhorting the crowd on the crowd. Certainly pregame, the atmosphere is nowhere near as good as what it is in Sacramento. I thought the crowd was, you know, solid, a solid playoff crowd tonight. I guess this is your first time seeing the crowd in this series. What did you think? You obviously hold playoff crowds to a much higher standard, but I thought they were fine. <laughs> I mean, that's just the, they 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 were modestly enthusiastic when things went well, and they weren't you know super down when they went poorly. And there was like some solid Sabonis booing. I, sure. I thought that was that that was good. I mean, stuff was had to do the like hey cheer for me thing uh a lot which is that well, that's yeah, a little embarrassing like, he, like he, they have to do make that, a good but. play and they'd be like, yeah and you'd be exhorting the crowd and it's like well you would you hope that you wouldn't need to and especially in a game that you're yeah. winning and half but, in a must-win game that you're winning like that's yeah. Yeah. you know there are a few like sparse warriors chants i mean it was again it wasn't as good as either of the sacramento crowds and it's just it's just not going to be given the the nature of the two fan bases at this point in time a couple small things Part of why the Warriors transition game is so bad is that Jordan Poole is just, I mean, again, maybe it's just the ankle that he's dealing with, but he just like doesn't ever push the ball. Like it's unbelievable. Like it's already anytime he brings the ball up, like he, and he doesn't even want to bring it up when, when Davion is there, he'll just throw it to somebody else. But like the Warriors get a steal. They outlet the ball to him. Everyone else is sprinting down and Jordan Poole just like takes three steps back towards his own baseline and then turns and walks the ball up. Like there are just so many plays like that where just he would get the ball and it's like hey just like take a couple of hard dribbles and like see what happens like you don't even have to like get all the way to the rim or anything and and again he's gutting it out for sure like he just doesn't have a good base on his shot he can't get any kind of separation off the dribble for a step back he's not really able to explode when he gets to the rim like it seems like he's always falling over even more so than usual so he's just not i think where he was physically a year ago and maybe that's the biggest reason at least at this point why he hasn't been able to duplicate i mean i was i was reminded like by slater's article that jordan pull had 31 points in game one in memphis when draymond got thrown out to win them that game right so that was uh and it was really clay kind of who was more struggling early on in the in the playoffs and play was okay in this one uh so in terms of adjustments here other than just being able to increase the intensity like the kings to me didn't shoot or play hard enough that you have a great idea of where their strategies are like in the fourth quarter they started just doing this like kind of half-hearted double team of whoever had the ball at half court as they're trying to come back that was just never going to work they're just giving up like wide open threes to clay like they weren't doing it intensely enough like it it, it, it was just a, a useless strategy and so i mean the pro i think the kings need to get more out of keegan murray somehow in the series like you could go with the strategy just starting davion rather than some people say hey start monk but i think just their defense was so bad in this game when davion wasn't on the floor that i think that's a good way to make sure that he is going to match up with stuff as much as possible and davion's actually shot it well enough i think to be out there uh offensively in this and, series. and it's not like being a little bit undersized you know depending on how you undefine the positions is that big a problem against the warriors like that's not something that they exploit yeah and it's not like but i mean i guess you keegan murray isn't like a great rebounder but he needs to do more on the glass harrison barnes has gotten a few offensive rebounds like he needs to do more on the glass too because sabonis is going to be pretty occupied it seems like with boxing out looney so whether that's barnes and murray like you know they maybe they can just you know, try to run some plays for murray that are hiding out a small guard on him usually and so try to get him like some quick post-ups get him going that way and maybe even barnes going against steph i might look at that a little bit more now that's not the way the kings want to run their offense but and it's also a little harder to do that when sabonis can't really shoot that well either and you know again if they're pressuring sabonis out on the floor and then you could duck in like that would be great but the center is just standing back in the lane so i don't know how useful that would be but i, I would try it again you don't want to like get out of the handoff game completely you don't want to stop running but and like kind of half court possessions or or maybe even when you run the floor to just like turn around and try to post up right under the hoop if you're harrison barnes against the small like i, I would go there to just turn this game into more of like a rock fight when it is in the half court and make it more physical but then still try to run outside of that like i think you can do both of those things i think you can too and worth noting both these teams were in the 80s in first shot half court offense sacramento 88 warriors in 84 sacramento only isn't that crazy to think about after watching this game that the warriors were way more effective in their first shot half court offense in sacramento like it just doesn't 
doesn't feel like that at all, does it? Some of that was the shots that went in and the shots that didn't, but also the Warriors yeah, got a ton sure. of, of offensive rebounding opportunities and were bizarrely efficient in transition. I mean, 164 offensive rating there on the strong side. Yeah. And also avoiding the turnovers. I mean, that's the oh, thing. Yeah. Like the Kings, the Kings just, they have to pr- pressure. And hey, you know what? If I give up some back doors, like, okay. But they just, they have to force turnovers. I just don't think that they could be, that, that they're going to be able to compete if they don't like get those Warriors turnovers into like, you know, the 17 At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. All right, which of these games do you want to go to next here? I don't know that we'll dwell too much on it, but I want to go to Suns Clippers, a game that largely overlapped with Kings Warriors. And... Unfortunately, it took a complete shift on Thursday with the news that Kawhi Leonard is dealing with a sprained knee. And I wonder how the the relationship between the NBA and gambling is already complicated. But the reporting that Kawhi Leonard suffered this sprained knee in game one, and then it was not, from what I can recall, listed on any semblance of an injury report for game two, but then is sufficient for him to miss game three. Like, that's something they're going to have to recognize with but the more important no part, i don't i don't think they are really nobody seems to care i guess not i i, I mean honestly like, like that you know windhorse has brought that up too and like yeah certainly if you want to actually like be fair to people and have some integrity yeah you should uh, uh be forced to report this stuff but i mean the gambling companies don't really seem to care people are still betting on the nba nobody's like ah oh, this shit is rigged so as long as it doesn't hurt the bottom line then it probably is it's not an issue i guess you could be right yeah i, I mean it, it, it calls me as well don't get me wrong but it's just like no this is nobody seems to care <laughs> but so that absence of Kyle Leonard it obviously took some of the sizzle out of game three for us it ended up being closer and I want to give a lot of credit to the Clippers for how gamely they fought including in that fourth quarter when they were started it I don't know if they started down double digits but they were down double digits during parts of it and fought gamely and you know they were a just missed Bones Highland three away from it being a one possession game with 20 seconds to go so you know all those that that's well and good and we'll talk about some of the other important takeaways but like there's a part of it where it was like you know the Clippers shot 15 to 35 from three that's 43 percent they did well there they were they they were able to defend surprisingly reasonably well considering some astonishingly small lineups but to me one of the bigger takeaways was the idea of like yeah if the Clippers are missing their two best players they can be feisty they can be competitive but they got 30 from Russ 42 from Norm Powell and still fell and if the Suns had hit a couple of shots like the Chris Paul had two wide open one layup one three that would have functionally ended it with like two minutes to go so I you know like for me if, uh, this isn't exactly news but if Kawhi Leonard is unavailable to play in any game in this series I would have the Suns a significant favor this is a faster game than it's been in this series but Phoenix still had a 123 offensive rating and yeah it was 95 Excuse me, 105-92 when Ty Lue goes to that absolute Lilliputian lineup. Terrence Mann is the center. Gordon, Bones Highland, Russ, Eric, uh, Norm Powell, Eric Gordon. So that is actually, is that six guys? <laughs> I guess they were No, I think you those. named Eric Gordon twice. Ah, eh, why not? So, <laughs> but, and, and that group, and they scored extremely well. And what's funny After is that, that. that group does not have extraordinary spacing. Like that's not, it, it's a group of small guys, but it's not a group of like five knockdown shooters. There are four guys that you respect out there. No, that's a good point. And they shot really well. And Norm Powell, we'll talk more about his game in a second with 42 points. And But my feeling is if you want to get back in the game, and I don't think there's any lineup that could have gotten them back in the game. And they came pretty close here. So maybe it wasn't the case here. But you want to go with more of a defensive group. And I differ with a lot of coaches here. A lot of coaches are like, hey, we're way down. Let's, uh, let's go for an offensive group because I guess, you know, we're going to hit more threes or something. But I think the way that you make up a big deficit is by those feedback loops that you're so fond of. And the way you get that is more defense, either forcing turnovers or misses and running off of those and and really just juicing the variance. I think a 
defensive group actually can do that a little bit more, particularly with the potential for turnover forcing. But I mean, it was a weird game at that point, and they're trying to double KD, double Booker. Like, they're Phoenix is getting great shots in every possession. Now, part of it was they didn't want to give the ball to Chris Paul to make the play right away, so he's off the ball. He's like doesn't really want to take a corner three, even when he drives. Like he's his finishing at the rim is just like weird. He he and James Harden should have a layup, just a wide open layup contest at some point and see who wins because it might be neither of them and you know or we'll let Tory craig try to beat us which he largely has so far in the series to his credit and you know they're able to get out in transition with ross and and bones i mean again you would like hey they played marcus morris marcus morris was actually like okay in this game it, batum just is like he's not allowed to come back in in the second and fourth quarters anymore it seems like so like again going to a smaller group i would be down for that but to just get like a little more size maybe a, I, I might think about that it's to, to where you could do some more switching and, and feel good about it. He's never really gotten to a viable switching group, even tried that in this series. And now, obviously, it's easier to do when you have Kawhi out there as a, another like six, seven guy who could switch. But uh, I mean, you can't complain about the strategy tonight. Like they're pretty close against a, a really good team. Devin Booker, I just continue to be so impressed by his game and just the pace with which he plays in the half court, his movement, just the the way that you can just never relax against him. And it's in a different way than like someone like Steph, because Booker is just he makes his decisions so quickly and he accelerates so quickly like he's not like a, a guy who gets great separation laterally but he can just accelerate so quickly and at a time you don't think so and then you can pull up from the mid-range he can get all the way to the rim if you put a, a forearm on him he's going to draw the foul he can pull up from three so he just has such a complete game offensively on, on his way to 45 points and again danny 45 minutes and they play again uh, 36 hours from now yeah i want to dwell on that in just a little bit um but booker what impressed me most about his 45 points was the drive game and particularly there was a stretch in the first quarter where booker was you was out i don't want to say he was out strengthening because that that distills what he over distills what he was doing but he was able to beat nicola batum a significantly larger player to a spot and then you know kind of work him out of the way and like that's not something devin booker could necessarily do three four years ago and he's added all these skills and was able to get to the line seven times made six of those seven um and and had some nice Nice threes. He only made three of them, but it, but this, it's been the case for Booker before. But for me, yeah, it really was that drive game. Booker eight out of nine in the restricted area, and then another seven of thirteen on twos away from the restricted area. And yeah, he he had an absolutely phenomenal performance overall. Had some of the defensive playmaking again, three steals, two blocks, and had some big ones too in the um in, towards the end of the game. So yeah, he was fabulous. How about uh, his foil in this one, Norman? Paul, who put in 42 on his own. Paul was really impressive. And I I watched all of his points. Um, I know watched watched a portion of this game live and then watched a portion of it after the fact, but then watched all of Norm Powell's points. And really, they primarily ended up in three bucks. One of them was transition. I thought Powell did a great job there. He often has going back to his various other teams, including on that Raptors title team, pushing the ball when he has an opportunity, understanding when there's an advantage and pressing it. Second box was catch and shoot threes. I thought that he had some really big ones there. Did have a pull-up three later in the game, but most of his 12 three-point attempts were of the catch and shoot variety, and some of it was coming off of screens. That All that looked good. And then... Yeah, and, and that's an element we haven't seen as much from him mm-hmm. over the years. And then the last one was paralleling Booker, the drive game. And and you, you can't necessarily separate out, you know, I, I mean, you could, but I, I didn't separate out the transition finishes from the half-court finishes, but he did a nice job getting getting into the paint, getting into the teeth of the defense and making something happen. Also had three assists and considering how many shots he took, that that's pretty impressive. And so I, I, yeah, I thought Powell understand understanding that they needed, you know, you brought this up with Dylan Brooks in the John Morantless game, but basically they needed somebody to sop up that usage. And I thought Powell did a great job of, of doing that without being super selfish, without being super reckless. The strategy for Monty going against that small lineup was interesting. He just stayed with his starters, essentially. And is now when I get to go on my rant about DeAndre Eaton driving me insane? Yeah, you might have a receptive audience there. He, so I will note, Aiton had a couple of notable plays in the last about two minutes of the game. The Clippers were fighting gamely to 
to make it a close contest at the end. He had a, a, an offensive rebound, actually got fouled, missed both those free, thro- free throws, but whatever. Um, but you're facing a lineup where the tallest opponent is Terrence Mann. And it's so funny because another team that went, and, and that wasn't nearly as extreme when the Clippers faced the Jazz in the playoffs previously, but that it being Gobert. And like, other than those specific possessions, which I alluded to, Aiton was not really impacting the game on either end. Like, he wasn't helping enough off of man to really affect the, the Clippers around the basket because a lot of what they did is they used the, the, the perimeter players to drive and to get to get op, op, options there. Aiton didn't really do a lot to affect those shots. But, and then on offense, like, a lot of it was him, like, standing around the basket and being there, but not really creating enough of an advantage for any of the Suns players to pass him the ball. And so it's just like, okay, you have a bigger guy out there, but you're not doing anything with it. And, and what struck me during this one, it's funny because they're facing off in a series, is over the years, not only the two of us, but many members of basketball media fans alike have lamented the let Russ be Russ, the, the Westbrook elements. And I, I, I had this moment in the fourth quarter of this game as DeAndre is just floating around that if you transplanted Russell Westbrook's mentality for all the well and the ill that is in that into DeAndre Aiden, he would be so much better of a basketball player, so much more impactful of a basketball player. Just the idea of like, I'm a better, like, I'm dangerous. I should just do these things and everyone else can deal with it. Yeah, Aiden did not attempt a shot in seven minutes. I think all of it took place against that lineup in the fourth. Did have two offensive rebounds. I thought he was doing a good job keeping it alive. And Phoenix did have eight offensive rebounds in the period, three of them by Okogi. So that was part of how they were able to, even though they were only 11 to 25 in that quarter and didn't hit their threes that well, they got to the line a ton. They got a lot of extra possession. So that's how they were able to keep scoring. And as well as the Clippers were shooting and pushing the ball in transition, I felt like what ended up happening to them was sort of a feather in the cap of the theory that just going with an all offensive group like this is they played offense as well as you could but they still couldn't make up the gap because they just didn't have the defense uh but back to Eaton had a better third quarter as they built built the lead had a couple of dunks uh but you know first half passes going through his hands bobbling he was able to make one play on a short roll where he actually like put the ball on the floor like he's not really like a one foot player which is maybe a little bit more what you need to do on the short roll as a finisher but he was able to get to the rim and finish uh off the dribble which you don't see very often from him out of a short roll situation but the thing is i mean they don't who are they gonna play in a unit like that other than Aiton? would you go a kogi there eh, maybe you can argue that would be a little bit better but yeah it's since not, they were I up mean, i don't in, think in an ideal world way. it'd probably be somebody like tj warren but he's just not that guy right now yeah the the suns they did try some of these other guys and they only want uh tory craig for 27 minutes but craig was three of four from three again 15 points on only eight shooting possessions had a couple offensive rebounds he was in foul trouble that's part of why he didn't play as much and warren played four minutes didn't do much uh, either way i thought uh damian lee did play more he was two of three from downtown had eight points he's a little slower like there's a time we tried to close out and got blown by but at least he's trying to close out and getting blown by as opposed to just not closing out at all which be what you would get from T. Ross. And I thought it was interesting that Shamit, who played a ton in the first game, as was down to four minutes. Lee kind of played over him. Akogi was up to 21 minutes as well. Chris Paul, five of 18, one of eight from three, missed both of his free throws, seven assists, did have three steals. I thought one thing that was impressive was he held up defensively against Bones Highland, who I still think they should try that strategy. Maybe Bones would do better to try to like get to a step back against him instead and shoot over him because Chris actually did stop him a few times. Like, I think I would still go there, try to wear him down but it was a i thought a good good strategy but you know paul being five of 18 well and he's just such yeah go ahead well not only five of 18 but one of eight on threes and one of five on twos away from the basket yeah. and, is, and these are wide these are wide open threes too that he's getting a lot of and and turn some of them down too which is concerning but overall i think he took it but there were a couple where it's like mm, going through it and you, players will have games like this and as you said he still contributed another ways but the Suns are going to face better opposition assuming they make it through this series and when you consider that they basically have four guys that Monty Williams trusts and then Torrey Craig has been huge in this series but whether that continues will be an open question like then they need a better Chris yeah. Paul where would that. they be without him they'd be down to one I, mean, pre- I, I think yeah that's probably right <laughs> 
But but yeah, I, I mean, when the trade was made, I was just very concerned about them finding that fifth starter, and he's he's really delivered in that role well enough. Um, so yeah, CP uh, he's gonna be off the ball more, particularly at the end of games, and he's gonna need to find something as a, a spot up shooter, as a driver on closeouts, and, and he's such a creature of habit. He also uh, kind of like Harden as well as former teammate. He's become this caricature of himself, where it's like okay he wants to just play pick and roll get to the elbow or make a pass out of pick and roll and that's what he does and he didn't shoot spot ups last year he tried to take a few more mostly off the dribble this year and i will give harden credit we'll talk about him in a second that he's reinvented his game a little bit from where it was the last couple of houston years and the brooklyn year noting that he's playing next to Embiid now and he needs to do different things and paul hasn't done a ton of that even when he was effective in game two it was more just the traditional chris paul kind of stuff and maybe that's kind of an, an indication of why controversially monty went to him in the paul eight and pick and roll because it's like well like, can chris paul really be off the ball like uh, i don't know i mean i think you still got to go with kd and booker but that's that's something to watch again i mean the suns have not been incredibly impressive to have to go booker 45 minutes i, I guess you want to talk a little bit more about the the minute situation well i wanted to talk about the context of this game and this is more of a concern in some ways for why but the timing of this series is very challenging more for the clippers because of the injuries but it could be potentially for both teams because they've been playing every other day this is game three game four for them is on saturday but not only is it on saturday it's 12 30 pacific which means that it's more like 36 hours i think it's like really actually like 40 hours between games three and four so a that's a shorter period of time for Kawhi Leonard to be ready to play we don't know his exact status like how we know he wasn't a game time decision because it was announced long before that but also for the Suns guys for their you know they're relying heavily on Booker Paul and Aiton and Durant and like all the Aiton played 35 minutes all the other gentlemen were in the 40s and so running these games in such tight succession that's a lot to ask and I mean it's one of those things that you have to worry about with the Suns if we're you know we talked about this after game one where if we're thinking about them as a potential championship team that they have to lean this heavily on these guys against an opponent without their two best players yeah and losing game one obviously put them uh, behind the eight ball and quite frankly this is like what kd just wants to do in particular and booker too like they're big personalities the guys who have the mentality they don't want to rest they want to play and booker's has this history of the hamstring and the groin and kd's had some issues too so that's i'm more concerned maybe about an injury than them wearing down necessarily and i think their mentality would be well hey this is what we need to do to win this game and it's much better to not have to play an extra game in the series than it is to just get a little bit more rest but have this go six or seven games a few small notes on this one for the third time this season and the second time in this series Devin Booker was guarding someone on the right side of the floor. Clippers won this run this play where they get the ball to Zubats at the right elbow, and then he takes a couple of dribbles over the other side and tries to do a handoff with someone coming from the left side of the floor, and Booker just comes off his man and just steals the ball from behind and gets a pick six dunk. So keep your eye on that. Maybe Zubats should have been ready for that one at this point. I never thought I would see this in my entire lifetime. Devin Booker flew at Russell Westbrook on a spot up three-point time, and Westbrook blew by him for a layup, but Westbrook was three of seven for threes actually been making his spot ups in the series and 30 points 11 to 23 from the field three of seven from downtown 12 assists three steals and a block you got kd i think a couple of times again like that matchup it's actually been okay for them and did have six turnovers but you know you can't have everything but uh, like russell westbrook it's he's unequivocally been a good signing i i don't th- think you can and maybe again that's an indication of just how bad this team was that he's helping them a lot and but he's, he's yeah, been good they for have. them too i mean yeah. i think that's i think it's worth emphasizing no it, it is and again if they had paul george if they had Kawhi and he was just like taking over at the end of games and fucking up like that easily could have happened as his little outcome-based decision making but particularly pg out like they have desperately needed his contributions and the other thing that's been massive is like he's been good on defense which mm-hmm. is just he had not been for god who knows how long since like you know the first couple of years of his career in okc me he hasn't just had these like complete brain farts he, he's, he's he's actually been living up to this idea that he plays really hard defensively and it's it's been really good last game of the day at bet 365 we don't do ordinary we believe that every sport should be epic every basket every game every point every play 
From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Hey here. <laughs> Maybe the last time we'll talk about this series in much depth. It was, of course, a crazy game in terms of the technicals and ejections and the non-ejections. Doc Rivers was asked if he'd ever been a part of a game like this before, and he said, well, I played for the Knicks, so yes. Mm. <laughs> Which is great. That's a great response. And I think Doc has actually coached a pretty good series so far since his name came up. I talked about that some with John. I thought his ATOs late in this one were really good. I think even his ATOs, like, try to get him beat, just a few little cheapies were pretty good. Like, I, I, I've, I, I think he's largely pushed the right buttons in this series and the nets uh, are now down 3-0 which is maybe a nice thing for us at least in terms of our coverage but i they just didn't have enough offensively again at the end a couple of wild stats from this game brooklyn had a 78.6 offensive rating in transition that's not fantastic the philadelphia 76ers had a 200 offensive rating off of live rebounds but i don't know how many times they ran but it was 8.6 percent so i i don't think it was too many i mean they had um i believe they had 24 offensive rebounds so whatever eight percent of that is or sorry defensive rebounds 24 defensive rebounds so not very many but they did score on those but i i mean i went on this little thing yesterday about how we don't want to emphasize the officiating this is exactly what it takes for officiating to be a key part of the story and that is multiple important weird decisions that affected the way the game turned out and that started in the very very beginning where there was a play where Nick Claxton went up and, and got a dunk. And I don't even exactly know how or why Joel Embiid ended up on the floor on that play. He, I mean, I think it, it was an alley-oop and Joel tried to like jump up and challenge from behind. it. And, and he yeah, just like, like, yeah. He wasn't particularly even close to contesting it, but I think he, that was his intention. And both Embiid and Nick Claxton go down. Nick Claxton does the kind of the step over. and Yeah, it wasn't like... Like, Embiid was, like, directly in front of where he was. And Claxton, like, stepped over, like, his legs. It wasn't it like, wasn't, yeah. oh, I'm, like, I'm like really, like, putting my nuts in your face type of yeah, thing. Yeah, I, I agree. And Joel Embiid responded by kicking one of his legs up and hitting... Yeah, one of the legs that he was standing over yes. as well, right? And yeah. and hitting Nick Claxton in apparently a part of the nether regions, but not the most damaging part, because that is apparently part of the decision-making apparatus that ended up happening here. And yes, you're, there are going to be obvious comparisons to Draymond Green not only getting a flagrant two, but also getting suspended. And what, you know, I don't like seeing players get suspended, like that's, or getting ejected. Like that's generally speaking, and I will express my opposition to both of the ejections that ended up happening in this game. However, what makes the Embiid play at least more seriously worthy of consideration from my perspective is the idea that it is so thoroughly a non-basketball thing. Like, there is, it is not like he was trying to move down the floor. It is not anything else. Yeah. It was just and, like... And, and if he hit him in the leg, it's not because he wasn't trying to hit him in the balls. Exactly. <laughs> and, and so I I don't like ejecting players. I, I especially don't like it in a like non-fight circumstance i think this is one of those rare exceptions where it's just like come on man like you didn't need to do this like you didn't and again i don't reward a player for a slightly less accurate kick than they intended like that's not that for me like and 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 again the idea that it was completely preventable that it was distinctly a non-basketball thing there's no way to even spin it that it was like he was trying to do something else it's like no you were just trying to kick a dude in the nuts so yeah Embiid gets a flagrant one and Claxton gets a technical which matters. gets a technical which I'm not I mean why did he get a technical did he say something I mean I'm is assuming it, it, it was a the, technical step, foul? the step the step over thing I'm guessing is the logic I, I mean th- that's a technical foul like to, to like step over someone I mean it's because pro- of like it's, some, it's, some I, don't, I, I don't think it was the worst technical that Nick Claxton got called for in this game yeah I mean this whole like you can never like you're not a man if you allow someone to like step over you oh my god it just it, the, the fact that that's 
Like it's it's just a, a ridiculous. Uh, people talk about toxic masculinity, like that's toxic toxic masculinity. Like the, it, just the fact that this is deemed to be like some humiliating act that no man could ever possibly accept. That you know, because like what you're you're like a couple of dogs, like two male dogs, and it's like stepping one stepping over the other is like an act of domination. I just don't. It's so stupid. In any event, and you know, I don't think that should be a technical now if he like said something to him or like taunted him okay and then i mean just to finish up the story with those two guys claxton dunks on him again and i don't think he said something i think he kind of flexed i think he looked at him and then he got his second technical fall and Embiid was of course very pleased by that these guys had had an altercation during the regular season as well but hey you know what like i think you should be allowed to like flex after the guy who tried to kick you in the nuts dunks uh, uh you, you dunk all over him like that it was just, that's i mean the reason that they have this uh, all of these rules is like well they don't want to fight that right like that that's the reason why all of these things are our rules is because they're scared that there's going to be a fight that's that's why but i it's just hey like you dunk on someone there's a certain level of competition i hated that technical foul call and i think then the hardened ejection we shouldn't get to too i think maybe some of the shit that happened the second half was they talked about it at halftime and maybe there was even discussion with the this is just a theory i don't know this but there was a discussion with the league office of like hey yeah you probably should have ejected joel on that one and i mean they're up three zero so it's not going to matter but it wouldn't shock me if joel gets suspended next game so let's talk about the harden one now so then james harden does a this is in the third quarter late third quarter does a shove off you know the kind that happens not hundreds of times a game but just feels that way plenty of times per game on royce o'neill and happens to hit him in the nuts or nuts adjacent and james harden get just gets a get straight up tossed for it and i you know it, absent where the contact occurred whether you're talking about intent or anything else like i'm not a hundred percent sure it would have been even a common foul like you know you probably make it a common foul because he hit him in because he hit him in the nuts but to make it like i i can't recall a single play off the cuff where i wouldn't give it any sort of flagrant and then it and it gets a two and you get tossed like that's extremely jarring i wasn't as aghast that this calls a lot of people but that's also because i loathe what nba players are able to get away <laughs> with with their with their off arms and this is james harden i mean again he always pushes the boundaries of legal contact oh, but well, he definitely pushed a boundary here <laughs> but so yeah he and harden said like yeah i tried to like get him off of me i thought i was being fouled first but you know this wasn't like a forearm where it's like okay you get the forearm on him and then you shove it was he delivered a blow with the forearm and elbow Harden didn't seem to think that that he hit him in the groin but uh, Royce O'Neal certainly went down and I'm, there's a lot of value to be gained in pretending that you've been hit in the groin apparently these days I mean Hans Molman can also testify that it can be useful when you actually do <laughs> But football to the groin has a football to the groin. Uh, so yeah, I I, th- I thought it was actually worthy of a flagrant one, but n- obviously not a- an ejection. So I guess we can talk about the actual game now. Can we do that? The Sixers did have a, a pretty heroic comeback in the end, closing the game on an 11-1 run. Big run for Tyrese Maxey, and such a such a kind of surreal game for Maxey. This is something that our buddy Tim Bondhams had. Maxey didn't score for the first 21 minutes of the second half. Then he, at that point, it was seven straight, ended up being 10 straight to push the Sixers into a win. And like, that's just such a weird swing, and Maxey ended up with t- leading the Sixers with 25 points, 10-17 from the field, and he he was massively yeah seven straight points in 90 seconds after he'd been scoreless in the second half tied it at 96 the only net point was after maxi hits a huge three on pick and roll after those seven straight points to put him up 99 96 good ato by doc rivers calls the timeout with about 52 seconds remaining after a huge d'anthony melton offensive rebound drew a foul on dorian finney smith melton uh, i thought was excellent in this game and yeah rather than go to Embiid, they ran a pick and roll to get the matchup of maxi on spencer dinwiddie and maxi just uh, hit a 26 footer right in his face uh, for the game winning points pj tucker got called for a foul as dinwiddie came right back trying to get the two for one 
but unfortunately, uh, I, I would say that the second best option on a good team would have made both these free throws. He was very short on one of them and just locked it in, and then the second one missed. So that could have had him within one. Then they get a stop, come back down. Dinwiddie drives hard down the left side in transition. They don't call timeout, and Joel, who I, I mean, the biggest story of this series has been Joel Embiid's defense. Yes. He blocked Dinwiddie's layup. P.J. Tucker, who was awesome on the boards, he had two key offensive rebounds down the stretch. Uh, got it. He hits only one out of two, and then they don't even get a shot up with eight seconds left. Royce O'Neal, who was so bad on offense, although I thought he did a good job on Embiid with his strength, uh, just throws away the, the inbound pass, and Melton gets a dunk for the final points. So, yeah, I mean, this game ties together a couple of different, a couple of different elements, one of them being the clutch problem Problems for these Brooklyn Nets post KD Kyrie trades, and I mean they didn't really get anything late. And you know Dinwiddie, as as good as he is, Mikhail Bridges, as good as he is, they don't really have that foundation yet of somebody who can create the advantages either for themselves or for others consistently enough. And like they have the other guys who are good play finishers, like Cam Johnson and Nick Claxton, and ideally when he's hitting shots, DFS, and I mean I guess Royce O'Neal in certain circumstances too. So it's not a huge surprise. That they've struggled in clutch offense during this. I mean, this was a, m- a more egregious one. And I wouldn't say like Mikhail Bridges had a bad game, but, you know, 26 points on 28 shooting possessions, 28 shooting possessions is a whole lot. He was nine to 26 from the field. Like I'd love to see him as a number two offensive option. It's like, so, this is too it, much it's, for him. It's so weird that he's going to, he like has transitioned from a number, like I would say he was a three with the Suns to a number one. And I think you're right. That no, he, he was a, he was the fourth option at the Suns at best. I would say even fifth option when he was playing with Cam Johnson. So we'll like Aiton, Paul, and Booker. Yeah, I mean, but, but were clearly Bridges, wasn't he averaging like twenty? I mean, he was. At, it, there was well, yeah, like yeah. For like the last six games, he was there. I think he averaged twenty. Yeah, but I mean, Brooklyn Nets PR is tweeting out all these things of like, oh yeah, like Mikael Bridges has two thirty-point playoff games. He never had one with the Suns. Like these these kinds of stats. But the idea that like if Bridges is your best offensive player, it's going to be hard to face a very good team and dispatch them unless a lot of other things go well the Sixers outshot the Nets from three 42 percent on 31 attempts basically they're plus nine if you want to think about it in terms of points because it was each team shot in the low 30s and Philly made 13 Brooklyn made 10 yeah but the Nets again they just couldn't get they didn't have the crazy long two shooting that they had only three of ten but they just I mean Joel was just too massive like they just didn't they never how many alley-oops have they tried to throw like they're probably like and Claxton got a couple in this game, but they're probably like five out of 22 on alley-oops in this series yeah, or something I, like I, that. I will give Embiid some of the credit for that, and he has been a wonderful deterrent overall. Some of that is just, I, I've never seen a team throw this many bad lobs. Yeah, they have no passing on this team. Like, Dinwiddie is their best passer, and that's that's not a situation you want to be in. No, no, it is not. And I thought it, w- it was so kind of weird how it happened that Embiid wasn't tossed and Harden was. I thought Embiid looked very uncomfortable, looked limited out there physically, and you know 14 points 10 rebounds impactful as you mentioned on the defensive end but just out of sorts offensively want to give some of that credit to the Nets and Jock Vaughn but mostly I thought it was Embiid not being quite right and that led to me we were in the media room together before the game and like once Philly won I wouldn't have done this in any other circumstance I started to wonder I don't know exactly the nature of Joel Embiid's injury these things can always be a little bit elusive but yeah for the for the quickly for those who didn't watch the game he was contesting a shot i think he went down and he seemed fine and then it looked like maybe like he kind of got his knee leg like caught underneath someone and like tweaked it slightly but then he was just really struggling like to the point where he's just limping up and down the court quite a bit but still was able to make that that key play at the end but it, it was he definitely looked uncomfortable it was definitely a kind of a throwback to that washington series in 21 and then the hawks series of like when remember he didn't play i don't think he played game or he heard it in game four and then i don't think he played game five but they they just housed him anyway because it was the wizards but yeah uh sorry i, I went on too long there no, but, but you're so, thinking you might even just sit him in in game four yeah i i don't know the full context but if i were doc rivers knowing the very limited amount that i know i probably would on the idea that he, as you brought up with durant and booker before like there is a risk of injury and all that with a game five but a i think there's a chance that philly wins that game without him and b it's just like you kind of want to play the long game with it and you don't want to work it 
too hard now. And if you have one of those, like, he plays 36 minutes, 40 minutes in a five-point loss, and then you have to play that other game anyway. Like, I think that's, I think that, and, and I, I don't think the series is in, in doubt anymore. No, that's certainly the case. Vaughn really went for it. He played Dinwiddie 42 minutes. Johnson, uh, who was really good in the third quarter with 13 points, was 44. Bridges played 43, but it, as you mentioned, really couldn't get it going. He had some good passes in this game, though, and tried some different things off the bench. Cam Thomas got 11 minutes. Most of that, I think, it was in the first half. And that made sense to me just to try to get a little bit more one-on-one creation that they're just completely missing. No Seth Curry in this one. Watanabe hasn't played since the first game. But Cam Thomas was just really struggling on defense. He ended up negative nine. They didn't go back to him as West. They tried Joe Harris. Missed three wide-open threes. Again, Joe Harris's playoff resume is uh, not exactly great. They tried Dayron Sharp for two minutes in the first half. Then they just decided decided to go to the five out and they did went to that exclusively once Claxton was ejected I mean th- that Claxton ejection may well have cost them the game because Claxton had 18 points eight of nine from the field he was plus 13 and yeah on on the was logic playing really that, well on the logic that even though Brooklyn's offense might have still been shaky during the closing kick their defense would have been better enough that they could have withstood it conceptually at least yeah and I, I thought again just for the Sixers like Melton was fantastic plus 24 had a couple of huge dunks off of the double teaming where he drove to the basket but overall philly not a great offensive process in this game for them to have only 15 assists and 14 turnovers when joel's getting doubled every time he touches the ball that's not very good but maxi and harden uh, were able to do enough uh, i think they had most of the buckets off of there tobias harris i thought maybe they could have gone to him a little bit more i thought in the first half it looked pretty good like his mentality when he's gotten the ball in this series has been all right i'm just gonna bully whoever is on me and because they're doubling Joel and not really helping at the rim that much. That's that's worked reasonably well. That's probably not going to work in the next series. So, yeah, I think the only thing that remains to be seen here is just what type of shape is Joel in physically. Just every time he goes down a lot, he just he's always seeming to tweak something. And, and it's just that's one of the biggest reasons why I've just been a little bit lower on him as a player than some other guys. It's just it's always something with him in the playoffs. And we're at that point again, seemingly. Any other kind of significant takeaways from this game? Another game where they, the Sixers outscored the Nets when Joel Embiid was on the bench, plus one for Paul mm. Reed. That's it's, you know, it's, a, it's it's at least worth noting at bare minimum. Yeah, Paul Reed's been good in this series. Nah, I think I think we're we're good on this series. We'll see if if the Nets win Game Four. I guess we'll talk about we probably what the Sixers do. That'll do it for tonight here at 1:09 a.m. Pacific time, and we'll be back tomorrow. Going to do playback for Cleveland and the Knicks. So please join us uh, for that. Talk to y'all soon. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.